Back in December, we brought you the first part of our series on business partnerships, and here is the second and final part. Now, business partnerships are on the rise in a whole variety of forms. 25% more organisations set one up last year than the year before, but failure is still by far the likeliest outcome. For every 10 that start out with high hopes, as many as seven end up dead in the water. In the last podcast, we heard from Paul Sparrow, who's Professor of Performance-Led HR at Lancaster University, and he outlined the most common problems for us. So we know from previous research that there are high failure rates. We're now looking at very, very complex arrangements and in much more politically difficult situations. The challenge of integration is just even more complex. We have to learn how to get this right, and we haven't got the time. I think, to experiment too much. Later, we'll hear from HRs involved with these partnerships on the ground at Rolls-Royce and at Shell, and Paul will be joining us again to shed light on how to avoid the common pitfalls. Shell, of course, is a giant, a global oil, gas and petrochemical company spread across 70 countries, employing nearly 30,000 people, and they have half a million contractor staff. Now, they have a multitude of business partnerships on the go at any one time of various types and lengths, many lasting for decades. Their partners include governments, the owners of the oil and gas resources, but also other oil and gas companies, in other words, their direct competitors. Sophia Umar is Vice President of HR Strategy and Planning at Shell. It is ironic because at one spectrum, we're actually competitors, and another spectrum to actually survive and be competitive in this industry, you do need to partner with people who you would normally think of as your competitor. So it needs to be a collaborative type of relationship, and you need to work as a team. Business partnerships are considered such a fundamentally important part of the organisation that five years ago they established a permanent and specialist HR function just to help them operate smoothly. In 2009, we decided to create a dedicated organization to provide strategic oversight to joint ventures altogether. So it has um, the strategic oversights of around eight countries that we would consider as major joint venture partnerships. This helps us to also see, okay, there may be common themes across those countries that may be propping up that we ourselves in Shell need to have a specific interest in. And that's quite important for us as well. Sophia, working from Central HR, understands all about the challenges for HRs who work in-house with their business partners. As she explains, doing that involves a complete change of mindset. I know people find it difficult going from a shell organisation to a joint venture organisation because previously their governance structure was reporting to that shell headquarters. In a a joint venture governance structure, it might be quite separate from the shell organisation which is perfectly fine, but it does mean you have to think, okay, what, what is the benefit of what I'm doing for that joint venture in the first place that also wouldn't hurt Shell in the long run? Yeah, that's quite a tricky thing to do, isn't yeah. it? And those who have been successful in that role, for example, if they were the HR advisor, HR business partner or manager in the joint venture partnership, while well, it's a continuous conversation of, okay, what would be most beneficial for all partners within that joint venture organization? And is there any conversation I need to have with Shell in the head office that I need to 
flag or raise with if there's any flexibility that I need to make for certain shell tools and processes that I'm responsible for implementing. Here's Paul summing up the role of HR in launching and sustaining successful business partnerships. The first set of activities are to do with the integrity of the strategy. So it's the things that you have to do to ensure that those people who are collaborating, the management teams, actually have understood the whole consequence of this collaboration. Second challenge is to then say, how do you actually ensure uh, that once operations are in process, that you actually maintain alignment with the strategy? Because those who execute the collaboration often may forget (laughs) what they're supposed to be doing. So the things you have to do to ensure continued alignment. The third phase we really would call operational integrity. Often you find that within the operations of partnered organisations, there are different ways of thinking. There are ways that will, again, mean that the execution of the collaboration will be knocked off course unless you understand and you address what you have to do to align at an operational level. And the fourth issue we would call operational optimization. You are now operating and you have, been, you have learned how to work in a collaborative environment. But as the collaboration evolves, it also creates it has, has new, new needs. You have to optimise your operations. Now, that's when the questions about the HR structures often come in, because many HR functions, it is only once they get to this stage of we've now been working this for several years, when they then think maybe we need to design our HR delivery system, uh, which I think is a little bit after the fact. And what we're really saying is, is, is that you actually should think about the, the HR design at a much earlier stage. Charlotte Durnley is Senior Business Partner, Controls and Data Services at Rolls-Royce, or at least she has been for the last six months. Before that, she was part of Air Engine Controls, which was subsequently bought by Rolls-Royce and then last year amalgamated with another part of the business to become Controls and Data Services. It has been a convoluted journey where the tension between assimilation and independence has on occasion been tight, But despite this, Charlotte and her colleagues are absolutely clear about their vision and their mission. I think the aspiration for the business is really to, you know, to be a continuing, evolving and growing business unit. So having merged with this other wholly owned subsidiary, there's a lot of focus on controls and data services in terms of future-proofing elements of Rolls-Royce, adding value to Rolls-Royce, using the data part of our business to really capture and analyse data to help our customer, namely Rolls-Royce, really kind of think about things differently and add value to the overall business. Though owned by Rolls-Royce and with Rolls-Royce as their main customer, controls and data services is very consciously a separate organisation. We're branded differently than the rest of Rolls-Royce. You can go to any of our sites and it's not branded Rolls-Royce, it's branded Controls and Data Services. Our colour palette is bright green and grey versus the the blue and white of Rolls-Royce. So as an organisation, where's the benefit to you in doing that? Rolls-Royce is our main customer. But we do have external customers who aren't Rolls-Royce, so we have the opportunity to be able to flex flex our business to external customers when we're not dealing directly with Rolls-Royce. On the other hand, while Charlotte is clear on their differences from Rolls-Royce, the two organisations which merged to become controls and data services had different cultures from one another, and they've had to find a way to combine these. Even such things as dress code, 
You know, it's very much right. more relaxed in the from one part of the business. Um, the kind of the just the way that things get done around here. So how do you different. resolve that then, as you say? Because it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually quite a big it's thing, huge. isn't it? It's absolutely huge. So part of the journey that we've been on this year, part of the journey that I've led from an HR perspective, is about how do we create a culture that is now for the new business controls and data services, whilst remaining true to the overall Rolls-Royce culture as well. And what's happening on the clothes front? So, well, the clothes is still an issue that we still need to resolve <laughs> at some point. Right. But actually, the cultural piece in terms of what, how do we want to be seen? How do we want people to recognise controls and data services? How do we want it to be seen versus the wider Rolls-Royce group? Do we want a distinct, you know, sort of unique kind of entity? And that basically is where we've got to. For Paul Sparrow, it's the people and how they relate to one another that really determines success or failure in any partnership. Although these collaborations are in- incredibly complex, in some senses actually they often come down to simple relationships. And everyone will, will say this. It is the quality of the relationships at senior management level and it is a quality of the relationships between the key players and knowing their opposites inside the organisation. At the interface points At the interface points, absolutely. So every HR um, partner will know that they have opposites in the other organisations, who they can work with and who beforehand they can actually identify the high-level ways in which they will respond to various challenges in this, in this collaboration. Meanwhile, Charlotte has set up transformational teams made up of employees from across both businesses and at all levels to find common purpose and culture across their sites in Belfast, Bristol and Indianapolis. Again, it's opportunities to really kind of drive some upwards and downwards communication through the business. You know, the downwards communication is always easy to do, but upwards is not, you know, it's not an easy feat. And actually, this is an opportunity for us within Controls and Data Services to really lead the way in terms of creating a cultural kind of um, cycle that roles could potentially benefit from in the longer term. In his research, Paul pinpointed six areas of people-related risks. Coordination, communication, control, culture, capability and finally, conflict. Philippa Stokes is Head of Global Employment Relations at Rolls-Royce and she's thought long and hard about how they manage their many business partnerships. Like Paul, she believes that sitting down and trying to make sense of each other is the foundation of success. I think often it's about actually there being common understanding of what what the organisation or that part of the of the organisation is trying to achieve, what are its goals and objectives, what what are the particular challenges that it faces, and therefore you reach some conclusions about what's the best way of operating. So one of the most important things I think is to have common understanding of that. I mean, one of the one of the six C's is, is control. Maybe that for me I would translate as governance. And how you get that bit right, if you don't get it right, then I think it can create a lot of confusion and perhaps a bit of chaos to in terms another C. In terms of uh, responsibility and accountability. No, I think I think that's right. Having clarity of accountability is is really important to getting organisations working effectively, whether that's Rolls Royce or anybody else, I think. As research into business partnerships deepens the issue of accountability grows. It is a double-edged sword to this research. On the one hand, it basically says, we can fairly reasonably say what you're going to have to do if you work in a collaboration. 
that's the good news. We, you can identify what you have to go and do. The slightly more disconcerting news is that we can say exactly what, what you have to go and do. <laughs> so if you don't do it, you will be held to account. And that is the challenge now. People will understand and they will look at functions in organisations and they will say these, many of these issues are foreseeable, they are known. And what were your strategies to put, that you put in place to actually manage this? So uh, the accountability uh, uh, is going to increase on many functions and most certainly on HR. As we know, the great majority of these collaborations do fail. But why exactly? It is the early part of the thinking. Organisations, they make assumptions about their own needs and their own motives, and they make assumptions about their partners, and they make assumptions about their partners' capabilities. And in many cases, where things end up going wrong, it's either because they had not understood the design challenges, so the collaboration was not designed in a way that would enable it to respond to, to more difficult times, so it's designed for happy times. Yes, but not, not designed to but be not for, robust. Not for more, more, more difficult times. Or it is essentially false assumptions about the capability of partners. Or what actually is happening inside your partner organisation, how good or bad they may be about certain things. Uh, so the due diligence is important. Sophia says her biggest challenge is listening. Continuously trying to communicate without um, having prejudgment of um, or, or making assumptions where we're coming from. I think that that's the thing that we need to hold back on is to accept that there are differences between the partners and um, essentially that is, that is the reason why you became a partner in the first place because uh, those differences were the um, considered benefits in that relationship and just sustaining that level of interest and communications with each other is, is probably time-consuming. And I think it's the more behavioural aspect of that relationship that is more challenging rather than anything else. As a multinational, because you're dealing with an extraordinary breadth of cultures and approaches. It's not so much the national cultural differences. It's more to do with organisational cultural differences, corporate cultural differences. At Rolls-Royce, like Shell, the focus is on letting business partnerships find an identity which cultivates a sense of pride amongst everyone there. It's getting the balance right between the uniqueness and differences within each part of the organisation and the benefits that come with scale, um, being a, you know, a large organisation, a FTSE 100, that obviously gives you some significant um, opportunities and benefits but at the same time you've got to kind of what is it that people align themselves to when they come to work in the morning is it the whole Rolls-Royce brand and in many cases absolutely it is but there's something more immediate than that as well so what is it that connects me to my workplace every day so I think it's a combination of those things it's a fascinating challenge and one that more and more HRs are going to face in our ever more networked world if you'd like to dig deeper into business partnerships and how they work Go to cibd.co.uk before you do anything else. Now, coming up in April, it's our 100th podcast and CIPD is celebrating in style with an episode all about you. What do you think it takes to be a truly great HR? What have you learnt that you'd like to share with everyone else in the profession? The team will be out and about asking HRs for their nuggets of wisdom and we want to hear yours. 
get in touch. I'll tell you how to do that in a moment and give us your tales from the front line. Now, they might be funny or serious, successes, maybe disasters. We want to hear them all. And yes, you can be anonymous if you want to. Now, which favourite insight you want to give us is up to you, but it might be the best piece of advice you ever had. Maybe a light bulb moment when something happened and you really got what HR is all about. Maybe a complete disaster taught you a lesson that you've been using ever since. Maybe you have wise words for your fellow HRs as they make their way up the career ladder. Here's how you can take part. Just go to the podcast homepage on the CIPD site and click on the 100th episode box on the right. That is it. We'll get in touch and organise a quick chat to record your thoughts over the phone at a time to suit you. It is dead simple. It'll take you five minutes. And don't worry about sounding like a newsreader. We want to hear the real you, ums and ahs and all. Go on. You know you want to. (laughs) 